Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 133. I'm Jeremy and as always I'm joined with my two co-hosts Edwin of TalesOfAdventure.com and Jim Caselli of CoolStuffInc.com. We'd like to thank Cool Stuff Inc. for sponsoring this podcast with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% BIOS bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of the, your magic the gathering needs how are you guys doing this week i made it out of cleveland in one piece i'm in california the weather's nice this is great see you already asked me this question and i said fine and then you like you're like just fine and so I'll, I'll say i'm doing well thank you for asking well i'm glad to hear that jim Ed, you obviously went to Cleveland this weekend. Did you have a good time, or did it leave you saying, oh, hi, no? Uh, could not have been happier to leave Cleveland. Cleveland was uh, not where I wanted to be. Let's, let's, let's put it that way. Any awesome MTG finance tech that came about because of Cleveland, or was it just another show? It was more or less another show. Uh, the biggest change was this is the first time they've had a or not not the first time but this is the first time in a while where they've had the pro tour attached to the gp um uh for a while it's usually been the pd has been on a separate weekend here they actually had uh the uh the mythic championship in basically an adjacent hall so it was technically separated but they still allowed people, if you could walk seamlessly from one room to the other. Um, it, for us vendors, it wasn't close enough to make a difference. Some minor things uh, compared to other events in the past was that the hall was open on Thursday, but that was because Thursday was the day where players came and registered for a Mythic Championship. Uh, so technically the hall had to be open because vendors uh, were allowed to set up and uh, it gave the Pro Tour players a chance to um, buy any last-minute cards. I just came in. I just put down the table skirts and set the showcases and then just left. There really wasn't much to be done from what I heard about the people, uh, the few vendors that were there. They didn't. It wasn't really good use of their time, mainly because the type of players who are going to Pro Tour who need last-minute cards are generally asking for things uh, such as small uncommon common sideboard sideboard stuff so people looking for their extra dive down spell pierces um it wouldn't be a cartel episode without ed's audio shitting the bed in the background uh yeah i'm at a relative's house and my relatives are moving stuff around so um but yeah again for the most part it was it was more or less just another weekend the added uh benefit of the mythic championship wasn't really something that was noticeable um what i'm not saying anything i'm just listening to mama win in the background making dinner uh right um uh yeah so there there really wasn't anything to too interesting. The biggest thing was I think Kaya uh, was in relatively high demand once people caught on that uh, the minus ability was relatively good against the 
uh, mono blue tempo decks, but otherwise fairly uneventful weekend, uneventful pro tour, et cetera, or mythic championship, I guess. However, we did some, we did some, we did have some awesome news come out about a certain modern product that we have no idea about that comes out in two days. You guys want to speculate on what that could be? I mean, I feel like it's not a deck because I feel like if they if it was a deck, they would have just come out and said it because so uh, there's been a couple of like podcasts and other social media things that uh, Gavin Verhey has been on recently discussing products like this. And he was very intentionally vague about what the new product was other than you'll like it. Now, my assumption is if it was a challenger deck style thing that they would have just said it because it's not something new. My, my gut feeling is that this is a way to introduce cards into modern, but not have them go through standard. I feel like these are new modern cards. That's my that's my guess. I, I have no basis in like no no like way that that could like I, I have nothing to prove it one way or another. It is just my my gut feeling is that it's a it's a modern product that is going to introduce new cards into modern. Uh I yeah, it, it's hard to say. I imagine it'll be something fairly new. I don't imagine it'll be a recycled uh product that we have already it won't be a revamped master set it won't be a new from the vault or whatever um not sure what that looks like i think the speculation of a modern legal only type set is probably the most plausible i'm not sure how they really implement that um the timeline for it i imagine is probably relatively soon as well mainly because we don't really have any product releases are coming up anytime soon um, because we basically know about War of the Spark. Uh, is there actually another product that we know about at this point? I don't think there is, um, mainly because they haven't really announced what's coming out of the future yet. Um, so I think in the past years, we've seen products come out uh, in March. We had Master 17 was the end of March product. Uh, then last year we had Battle Bond come out in June, um, but that being said, it could be it really could be anything. Uh, I mentioned in previous podcasts that uh, I suspect that they would find a way to integrate prize packs like treasure chests as a way of introducing magic products into um, to to work its way into F and M or these championship day whatever type of things they have i think which they're doing away with uh but who knows we'll just have to wait two days and see um i i think i think it's just way too wide open to really be able to speculate on a sort of modern finance right now but now that we do know that london is going to be a modern pro tour i think it will i think there's definitely a lot of financial implications that will happen between now and then Yeah, I agree with both of you guys on this. I don't think there's much else to add. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens and how many people get blown up by this. So, 
I mean, I don't necessarily think that, like a ton of people are going to get blown out by it. Like even if it's a reprint set, like if you play modern and you have cards that you play in modern, even if they get reprinted, you're not really getting blown out so much as like, yeah, your cards are worth less, but you weren't going to sell them anyway because they're in the deck that you're playing, so it shouldn't matter that much. Yeah, good point. Um, other than that, topics we have to talk about this week. Do you want to get into our credit question and then we can start answering uh, gathering magic questions? Uh, sure. So our credit winner of the week is Michael O'Neill. Uh, Michael asks, when is the optimal time to dump rotating standard cards given the uncertainty with organized play and increased focus on, on arena? Um, so the first half of this question I think is a reasonable thing to ask. The second half I think is a little bit loaded and I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of uncertainty with like the highest levels or, of organized play, but I don't think that's going to affect anyone that plays your LGS. Like, People that play FNM are not the people that are trying to get on the Pro Tour, and people that play in Grand Prix, most of them are not playing, you know, planning to get on the Pro Tour either. They're just doing it because they want to have a good time. Uh, I don't think that the increased focus on Arena and the lapse of like good judgment in with OP is like a reason why you should sell your cards. I don't think we're got to that point yet, or I don't think we will ever get to that point. I feel like there's. It's, it's going to take too much time before that becomes a factor uh, for uh, you to really worry about it. I will say, though, that generally speaking, standard cards will start to drop in price six months out from rotation, which is soon, which is next month, right? Like, rotation's in September. So March is when they start to go down. Uh but that only applies to things that will be rotating six months from now. So, uh, Ixalan block cards, Corset 2019, and um, Dominaria, right? Yeah, those those four sets are the only four sets that will be affected. All of the Ravnica stuff will be in standard for a whole another year, so you don't have to worry about those. Uh, I, I think Jim is mostly correct here. Uh, the add caveat is that uh, the challenger decks uh, further accelerate the decline of uh, prices for standard. Anything once they announce the deck list, I imagine most of those cards will probably drop quite hard. Uh, that being said, most of those were already on their way out. If we're looking at uh, data from last year's sets, we had a lot of things like uh, I'm trying to think of the ones that got hit the hardest. Chandra was the biggest one. Hazret was also a big one. Uh, Mono Red was, uh, for anyone who wasn't really playing a year ago, Mono Red was the biggest player. Those those two cards were really the most expensive uh, pieces of the Mono Red deck. Um, Chandra was probably about 30 or so, 25 to 30 prior to announcing the, uh, them to announcing the Challenger deck reprint, and Hazret was 14. Uh, within about within about a month or so, um, they they were both sub ten dollars from what I remember. Um, and obviously, there's multiple parts to that one: the fact that they're rotating, two, and the fact that they're being reprinted hurts their value twice as much. But realistically, one would say that Hazret probably would have dropped 
a fairly substantial amount regardless because it was rotating not too long afterwards. Mono red also kind of fell out of favor, so that didn't really um, that didn't really help the price much. Chandra has a little bit more legacy and modern play, so the price was still hit fairly hard, but it was able to retain some value. Uh, some of the other decks: Virtuous Gear Hulk, Heart of Kieran, Glint Sleep Siphoner. Uh, trying to think of what else. Uh, Walking Ballista at the time. Walking Ballista has since rebounded. These are all types of cards that got hit the hardest. They were on their way out, and the reprint pretty much killed any hope uh, of them being able to retain their value. Um, so I'm not sure when the deck list will be announced. I know I think they announced the date, uh, release date for Challenger decks to be April 12th. I imagine the deck list will probably be out a little bit before then. We had talked on a previous episode that uh, the um, uh, article written by Gavin Verhe, I think it was about a month or so ago, he discussed a bit about the upcoming product releases, and he said that the deck lists for the Challenger decks uh, were locked in shortly after Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, so from there, you can kind of infer uh, what cards will be reprinted. I imagine a control deck will have Teferi in some form. Um, there will probably be a Boros from Mono White Aggro deck. Aurelia will be in there. Uh, these are types of things that you probably want to get rid of in the immediate future. You probably have a few weeks before the decklist go li goes live uh, to drop them. Uh, the second part of the question, I think, like Jim said, uh, organized play is in a bit of turmoil right now. I don't think that's necessary reason to panic sell as it were you should be focusing on dumping these cards because it will drop like all standard cards do um arena is kind of a different animal the way they have it set up i wouldn't be too worried about your paper cards at this point i think what arena is actually doing is actually healthy for the game overall but that's slightly different topic uh we, i'm sure we'll elaborate on it another time but your biggest concern is the challenger decks and because those cards will almost certainly tank probably to um, a value that it, they just won't rebound from. Yeah, there's something I can say that hasn't been said. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if they do a dino deck because if they don't reprint stuff like Zakama, this could be a very good pickup at rotation. Um, but the optimal time to dump rotating standard cards was yesterday, basically. Um, as soon as these challenger decks come out, it's going to be, even though it may be good for like a week for players that are just now entering standard and like want to buy cards, overall, it's better to dump everything before the challenger decks get released. So that's what I would do. Uh, Jim, how can Michael receive his credit? And how can people win next week? So you can send me an email, Michael, at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com, and I will get you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. If you'd like to win next week, you need to leave a question on the page that goes up at coolstuffinc.com for uh, Cartel Aristocrats, and it should go up uh, Wednesday, February 27th. And uh, there's another good question we should probably answer. 
because we actually had a lot of good questions this week for once. So good job, guys. We didn't have two questions this week. So we're just going to go through and answer some stuff that we think is important to talk about. Well, time out. Are you going to say, do the one where I say, well, love your guys' cast and really like Jeremy's appearance on Leaving a Legacy? Because Wait, I wasn't even going to mention that. That I was on that cast. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, this has nothing to do with that. But if you want to hear about T.O. struggles, yeah, listen to that. Um, Maddie Exile asks, Good cast, guys. Was glad to hear the discussion about TCG and the MSRP debacle. That said, let's talk condition. It seems that condition seems to be in the eye of the beholder, as I'm seeing cards deemed as lightly played that seem more MP, but then some LP that would fall under near mint. How do you classify cards in different conditions? Does poor cardstock play into this? Does age matter? I'm not sure. I have noticed that some sellers will list all of their cards as LP to avoid complications, essentially. How much scrutiny should be given when grading cards? Should it be the same for every card or only for cards at a certain threshold? For example, less than a dollar or more than five. Thank you in advance for your response. Because this is definitely one of the harder things to do when you first get into trading or selling some of your extra cards is um, how people apply condition. Because even between TCG player and Channel Fireball or TCG player and Star City or cool stuff in TCG, that everyone grades cards differently. And I think Ed is probably the most qualified to talk about this. Wow, way to just dump it all at me. Um, uh, so for condition, if you're looking at this from a selling perspective, I guess there's two sides to look at this. One as a consumer, two as a vendor. Uh, so from a consumer perspective, I think a lot of people have relatively misguided beliefs on what condition should look like uh for example you can open up a booster pack and get not near mint cards and two you can get near mint cards that have some flaws on them uh these statements are both true um i think there are people out there who expect near mint cards to be gradable 9.5 gem mint type cards and that's just not the reality of the situation um no, no matter which site uh, you buy from, whether it be TCG Player, Star City, I would take the time to actually read what it says because they both have pictures and descriptions of what their conditions look like. Uh, for TCG Player, near mint, they do allow for some blemishes on the card, the occasional, um, the occasional nick around the outside. Uh, sometimes it comes like that out of the pack. That is allowable, and that is something that passes as near mint. Uh, light play is probably the biggest range of cards, and I think uh, this is probably where people have the most trouble. Um, uh, light play, because it has such a big range, you probably have a lot of people who tread the line between what light play and uh, moderate play looks like. It's not always clear-cut. I think a lot of times... Uh, back when I was with Kerwins, if we were grading cards and it was close, I would err on the conservative side and say this card is MP, mainly just to not have to deal with someone coming back and saying, why did you send me LP card? This is clearly MP. Um, being conservative in your grading as a vendor is going to be more beneficial for you in the long run. That's why you have a lot of vendors just 
lists all their cards as LP or worse across the board. Um, if you look on TCG Player and you try, you type in some random card like I don't know, uh, Hydroid Crassus, for example, uh, you'll probably find a vendor that has you know a million copies of these in light play. They're cl- they clearly opened them out of packs. They just happen to list them as light play again to avoid having to deal with a customer that thinks that their that one little nick on their card disqualifies their card from being near mint. Um, that being said, I believe that grading should be consistent across the board. I don't give more leeway to a card uh, if it was Ravnica Allegiance or Alpha. Uh, a near mint card in Alpha should have the same grade li- guidelines as a near mint card from Ravnica Allegiance. Um, age should not be a determining factor. Um, you have to look at it uh, as a whole. I, I remember seeing a question on uh, the MTG Finance subreddit uh, earlier. Someone asked if a card that has a binder ding in it um, but is perfectly near mint otherwise, how would you grade it? Um, in that case, the card, if it has a binder ding uh, by TG player standards, it has to be damaged. It doesn't matter that the rest of the card is near mint. Uh, any structural damage to the card is uh, by definition damaged. Um, you can't really try and cheat it and say this card is HP because of the binder ding, but it's near mint. Otherwise, it's just it's just damaged. Um, uh, for price, it generally doesn't matter. I imagine a lot people are likely to care a lot less if you list a near mint card for something that's less than a dollar. Probably no one's gonna really bug you about that. Um, but again, just for consistency's sake. Um, Try to grade the try to grade objectively. Look at the TC player guidelines or Star City guidelines, whatever, and be aware that what well, not everyone grades the same. But whatever site you use, you should probably adhere as close to the descriptions as possible. Jim, yeah, I, I agree with all basically all the things that Ed said. Um, the thing that I try to stress to people is that near mint cards are not mint cards because mint cards mostly don't exist like cards out of the booster packs sometimes have a little bit of damage even if you like most people when they open the booster pack do the damage themselves because you know it's not like every single pack you open you slice open the top and push the cards out nicely um you know most people will pull pull on the cellophane to rip the pack apart and get the cards out most people do some damage to them in the process. So it's, I don't know, like when I go buy things, I'm not expecting them to be near mint. Like I'm not expecting a mint card, but at the same time, if I'm buying cards that I'm specifically trying to play with, like I'm not that worried about dings. That being said, I think that foils are the things people misgrade the most often because they don't know that there are other things other than like the common like dings and dents that you have to worry about with foils specifically. Uh, clouding is a big problem on foils, and it's something that I think a lot of people don't take into account or don't know what it is. And to be honest, it's a little it's a little difficult to explain what clouding is on a foil, but basically a card you know can look when near you mint. See it. Sorry? You know it when you see it. Yeah, I mean, you could say that, but there are different there are different styles of foil, and there, it's more prevalent and less prevalent on some of them, and 
like there are just also some issues where like some foils are just curled and they could be near mint otherwise but they're like you know the shape of a u then like i don't know <laughs> what you grade that like kamigawa foils are miserable they're always they're always curled and I know that it's a don't grade stuff based on how old it is, but if I get a Kamigawa foil and it's curled, I'm I'm okay with that because that's just the expectation. Those foils are always curled, and no matter no matter what it, what card it is and how good it was taken care of. So it's it's a little it's a little weird. I don't know how to how to describe what you should be looking for specifically, um, but. I'd say if you personally are worried about getting cards that are not in near mint condition, uh, maybe just understand that most cards are are not near mint, but they are, or sorry, most cards are not mint, but they are near mint, which is the thing is like, they're not supposed to be perfect. They're just close to it. Um, but I, I I agree with Ed most of the way there. I, I think that I would also say that I think that people are more picky the older the card is. Uh, I know he says that you know don't don't grade differently based on the age, but like there's definitely people that were more likely to want to try to grade things from Alpha than there are people that are trying to grade things from Ravnica Legion. So every little ding and dent and off centering is going to be more important to them than it is to the average person trying to buy you know a. Thief of Sanity or whatever. Uh, well, I guess that card's not narrow. Breeding pool or whatever. So, with with like extremely old, expensive, good condition cards, you might just want to do that kind of sale in person. Not everyone has that luxury to be able to sell cards in person. I think the biggest thing to know is when grading cards, older cards that are non-foil, you want to look for fingernail scratches or dents because a lot of times the card will look good when you casually turn it over. But if you shine a light on it, you'll see a lot of dents that you previously couldn't see before. Um, older cards generally don't warp like a taco, um, but clouding happens pretty easily if they didn't take care of them that well. And then a lot of times, if you look on the sides of the cards, people kept them together rubber banded a lot of times. And so, like, you won't see it until you pull it out of a sleeve. So for every card, you should be pulling it out of a sleeve. One, to make sure that it's not a fake. And two, to just make sure the card's in the correct condition. Because a lot of vendors have been fooled by not taking cards out of sleeves at Grand Prix when they're trying to buy like crazy. They just assume, like, oh, it's fine and move on. And I'm not saying Ed does that. I've just seen it happen in the past at very busy Grand Prix. Um, so you should be taking every card out. Uh, but if you're just a casual who's trying to sell some cards and you're selling them locally. Generally, a lot of locals will consider LP as near mint for some reason. They just don't really care because you're trading with someone in the community. But as soon as you go online, you get those people that want the Marcel mint. Uh, if you get, if brainstorm brewery listeners know what I'm talking about, where like it needs to be a gem mint card for it to get the near mint tag. And at that point, it's just better to list all your stuff as LP or worse and make sure that there's not dings or whatever on your older cards. Um, and yeah, then obviously, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of people will list things like it's no, nobody's going to complain if they get a better quality card than they were expecting. But a lot of people will complain if they get a worse quality card than they were expecting. And a lot of times what matters more is that you ship out your cards on time. Like 
it could be in better condition than they ordered, but if you wait three days to ship it out, they're going to be pissed off anyway. Um, the other thing which I was going to say is vendors. I forgot for a second. Uh, vendors grade their cards differently. There's obviously that meme from Troll and Toad from a couple years ago of Troll and Toad near Mint. Uh, that's starting to go away because Jeremy, not me, I believe, took it over. Uh, so he's working on fixing their grading, I want to say. Um, but different companies grade differently, and you should definitely keep that in mind. For a long time, Star City LP was most people's near mint, and they've since changed their grading and prices. So keep it in mind. But uh, this is just a question that I thought we should really touch on. Anything you want to add, Ed? Nope. I I think we've more or less hit on the head. We can go into more nuance, but it's one of those your mileage may vary things. That's ultimately what this comes down to. And if you're ever buying expensive cards that are worth a lot of money, do it in person if you can, or with someone that has a lot of refs or a reputable dealer. Because a lot of times saving $10 means you're going to get like a sub-quality card from a sub-quality vendor from some rando on Facebook that doesn't know the greatest cards and he's got the blurry Facebook pictures on uh, whatever website or forum. So sometimes it's worth it to pay a premium and I'm not saying buy from me or Ed. I'm just saying work with people that know what they're doing, including our sponsors, coolstuffinc.com, shameless plug. So yeah. What else do we want to talk about? I don't know, man. My job is to give out the store credit. I don't, I don't, I don't come with topics for us to talk about. We're not that much of a professional cast. Did you know Battle Bond boxes went up? Uh, I did not, but I did. I did see that like people are making a move on Kaya and like Hostage Taker and that like weird stuff that was in the Esper control deck that made the top or the the finals. And I'm, I'm very much in the op- like the the thought that you should just sell into all this stuff because I don't think you want to, I don't think you want to own them. Like Kaya seems immeasurably narrow as a as a planeswalker that I would be very surprised if there was any like future gains to be had here. Like if you open something like a booster pack or a draft or your sealed pool, like your pre-release or whatever, just like this is a good time to get rid of them. I think. I think, I think the nature of standard is that your goal is to turn things over very quickly. You just want to stay one step ahead of the next thing. Uh, you won't be buying it now for what you think will be good a few months down the line, and just repeat ad nauseum. Um, there, I there isn't really much I would be holding on to. Again, we briefly talked about how challenger decks kind of crush that standard is already very volatile to begin with decks that were good uh previously aren't great now right people like not that many people were playing mono blue at pro pro guilds ravnica now mono blue is the best deck is it is mono blue going to be the best deck at the next standard event in one or two weeks almost certainly not uh you just want to be taking advantage of these spikes like jim said uh, you just want to stay ahead of it and try and cash in whenever you can instead of trying to be greedy. Um, it's always practical, obviously. Uh, 
if you were if, if you somehow had the foresight to buy Arclight Phoenix at two ninety nine when it was first spoiled, for example, you obviously did great. Um, those are going to be far and few in between. You probably need to you probably need to be winning your small battles. Uh, if you bought Kaya at the beginning, if you owned some Kayas and then you buy lists them some point over the weekend when you saw that it was doing well, you probably did okay. You probably made a few bucks there. I doubt anyone went super deep on Kaya. But that's the nature of it. I think now you, you're probably best looking for guilds of Ravnica, Ravnica Allegiance types cards that excuse me, what's uh would be able to skate by and not be reprinted in the Challenger decks and have the potential for future growth. Um, I'll probably pick some of those uh, for a future pick of the week, so I don't want to just run off a bunch of them. I think there's definitely some good spots to make money there, but um, standard, the nature, the very nature of standard just doesn't allow for any long-term specu uh, speculation. It, that's just not how that particular market is designed. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. The only thing I have to add is the Battlebound lands are worth money again, and I feel good having called that a couple months ago, or maybe even a month ago. Um, everything about Battlebound is going crazy. So, and Crab or not Crab Virtus, which was previously a bulk rare, is now worth a bunch of money due to uh, Taza. So, it's interesting that Battlebound has. Uh follow this particular trend understand i understand that the the lands have always been good i think there's definitely a lot of appeal but for we them. were down to four or five dollars like after going up they went yeah. back down and they then we called it on the cast and now they've doubled again yeah they initially were reasonably cheap because i don't think people gave them much thought when they first came out and then they had a small bump when there was a second printing of battle bond I want to say like August or something. I can't quite remember when the second run was. Um, and ever since then, it's become quite hard to pick up Battle Bond cards. And uh, the most popular ones have just gone up. I imagine that well, this is kind of a similar trend with what's happening with Conspiracy to Take Your Crown right now. A lot of those cards are starting to um, blow up in price following the trends of uh, Expropriate, Sobala... I think there's a few other ones, but those were the ones that probably got hit the hardest. Um, I imagine we'll see some more spikes in Conspiracy 2 as well, mainly because those uh, the boxes have gone quite expensive, and a lot of the singles have dried up, um, especially on TCG Player and just uh, in vendors' hands as a whole. Um, I imagine Battle Bond will probably follow that path, but much quicker, mainly because there's much more demand for some of the better cards in Battle Bond compared compared to Conspiracy 2. Do you have any thoughts on Battle Bond? I think that the Battle Bond lands are not very good and very likely to be put in like future EDH like sealed products, so I'm not super into them, but I, I understand that people think that they're good and that's more important than them actually being good. Um... I don't know. I, I I just I don't think those lands are very good, and I've I've only played them in decks that only played two colors and only played those two colors, so it's weird. 
Yeah, there's a lot of really good casual battle bond stuff. Land tax is already recovered. Rector fluctuates a lot, it, it feels like. Um, even Conspiracy is doing pretty well. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that like uh, doubling season hasn't like really re-exploded. It feels like there was just like so much demand for that card previously, and then it got reprinted and dropped a bit, and then just like never, never really recovered. So, I, I personally know. feel like ninety percent of the doubling seasons that were opened over in Japan have made their way over to America, and that's why prices are depressed for a while. Suppressed, yeah, not depressed. I mean, They're not sad. Right, I, I don't, I don't, I, I agree that that probably did happen, but like, it's still not as expensive as I thought it was going to be because usually, cards that are in high demand and from these supplementary sets, like the few of those will will start to climb and become disproportionately larger parts of the EV of the set, and I don't feel like doubling season has had that kind of movement yet. So maybe it is due for some price correction. I don't really know. You guys ready to get into the pick of the week? Only because Ed goes first. Yep. Uh, so I technically have two. They're fairly uh, related to one another. Uh, the first one is Prime Speaker Vanifar. This was a card wow. that Wow. Interesting. Uh, okay. It's 10 bucks, right? Uh, it's, yeah, you can find it for a little bit less than that. Um, okay. Uh, this was a card that uh, had a lot of hype going into it. People hailed this basically as the second coming of Birthing Pod. Um, I think the uh, this card has multiple advantages. One, I, that being said, I do think it can get possibly get a little bit lower as more supply gets injected as people continue to open up Ravnica Allegiance. Um, but uh, it's going to be a casual card. Um, you know, this is it's a legendary creature. It fuels relatively degenerate creature combos in EDH. Um, and I do think there is some possibility that this card could be modern playable. We haven't really had a modern tournament for someone to showcase this yet. I imagine if someone is out there and they found a way to break it or something, they might be holding it for... Uh, a modern event to spike, possibly the Pro Tour. Who knows? Um, I think there's. A, I think this is a type of card. It's unique enough. There's one other card that does what it does before. Um, and uh, I think this is the type of card you want to be spec on. It's mythic. If it does see play, it will be certainly see play as a four of because it's a combo enabler and it has a lot of um, casual appeal and uh because it is in the winter set it's um it'll be real it'll be open relatively little compared to guild of ravnica and probably less than uh war of the spark that comes afterwards um and to tie it in the other pick is birthing pod uh again it's fueled purely by uh edh uh it is if you look at EDH rec, it is uh, one of the top 100 artifacts that is played in EDH. Um, is, it, is, is that a great metric? Probably not, but you can use EDH rec as a fairly good tool of the type of casual cards that turn over fairly well. Um, it is unlikely to ever see the light of day in modern again. I think, that, I think it is just a little bit too powerful in what it does. But... Um, 
the card is so old, it was printed in New Phyrexia, which is eight years at this point. Um, it is relatively hard to find if you're not looking through some source like online. Um, at GPs, this is the type of thing that you almost never see unless you're buying it from someone who's piecing out their ADH deck. Uh, again, the card is just so old, there's not a lot of supply out there. Um, I think both of these do kind of go hand in hand, but again, Prime Speaker Vanifar probably has a bigger upside because it is more likely to be broken in modern uh, or even standard. And that probably means that it has a potential to go higher. If it does break in one form or another, I do see it being a possibly a $25 card. Um, uh, I think it hasn't quite bought about yet, but I'm okay picking up some number of copies at this point um, as a short to medium term hold and birthing pod. I think the nature of the mechanic prevents it from getting reprinted. So I would, if you want them, I think I would be wanting to buy them sooner rather than later because I, I think once it dries up, I do think this card is quite, is worth quite a bit more than what it is right now. Anything else you want to add, Jim to that? Uh, not about his stuff specifically. I have my own pick of the week. Should I should I go with that then? Oh, okay. Uh, so my pick of the week this week is Tempest Gin. Uh, I think it is probably the most important and best card in the mono blue deck that just won the Pro Tour, and it's a card that people don't talk about nearly enough. Um, the Curious Obsession and Siren Storm Tamer were like three or four dollars each, despite being uncommons and. Tempest Gin can still be found. Oh, sorry. Mythic Championship. Ed wanted to correct me. Apparently he got uh, yelled at over the weekend while he was at the Grand Prix at Magic Fest. Wait, did he call it a, a Pro Tour or did the listeners yell at him? No, I said Pro Tour. Ed in the chat said Mythic. Uh... Anyway, Tempest Gin is really good. It's from a core set, so it probably hasn't been opened very much. And it's also a pretty popular deck on Magic Arena uh, because of how uh, how many rares you need to build it, which is not very many. And I think they actually give you one Tempest Gin in like one of the starter decks. So you're like pretty much most of the way there with very little wild cards. Uh my expectation is this is going to be like $5 in a couple of weeks, maybe even just at the end of this weekend, uh, because right now you can only find a couple of copies under three. And um, yeah, I think that the mono blue deck is quite good. Uh, we saw it on full display, and I can't imagine a scenario where this card doesn't go up a little, at least a little bit. Like It's not a multi-deck all-star, which is kind of a problem, because... It's really hard to cast. I just can't imagine a place where like this card is just going to get worse before it rotates. Ed, how do you feel about that? Uh, I don't love it. Uh, I think uh, Goblin Chain Whirler proportionally was a much bigger part of the meta. It's a better card. And even at its peak, it never really got above six to eight dollars, uh, and that was that was 
like after Model Red won the Pro Tour, and it was a disproportionate amount of uh, of stam. I, I think it can get a little bit higher, but it's not. I don't think it's the type of thing you won't be specking on. And even if you do, um, I enough if you want to throw somewhere probably for the next few months. It's fine, but this isn't the type of card I want to go on buy three hundred of or something. Well, that's good because I never pick cards that you should go about and buy three hundred of. These are specifically cards that if you're playing Magic: The Gathering, you should. Purchase them to save yourself money, not to like double up in a week. Are you subtweeting me because I keep buying hundreds of the same card? <laughs> no, I don't think the things that you do are necessarily bad. But Ooh, the, can I use the same, the, what? Can I can I use that with Saint Peter? <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that people that buy large numbers of cards are necessarily doing harm. I think that there's more harm done when people think that cards are good and go out and buy them themselves. Like, the value of a card is only as high as people are willing to pay for it. And if you buy 100 copies at $1, that probably doesn't move the needle, right? Like, there's still going to be copies for $1. If you if 100 people buy copies at $1.50 and they're, they're okay with this, then that's when cards start to get more expensive. Yeah. But... The card, the, the Tempestion, I don't think is necessarily going to be like, you know, the next big, biggest thing. And you're going to be like, man, I'm so mad I didn't buy any Tempestions. But if you're thinking about playing Mono Blue and you're not sure where to start, because the deck's pretty cheap overall to build and it's obviously quite good at one of the Mythic Championship. Um, if you're a good pilot, the deck is quite good and you would probably want to start with Tempestion. I think that's where you would start. Something to mention before I get into my pick of the week is that Persistent Petitioner was like the number one or top 10 seller on TCG. And even in the article, they referenced that people are going deep on it and that it's mainly a couple people buying them all and not actual players because I think they think it's going to pay out like Shadowborn Apostle or something, which is uh, interesting to keep in mind because there's going to be a lot more persistent petitioners than there will be Shadowburn Apostles, for sure. Um, my pick of the week, which, for full disclosure, I am 388 copies into, because my 300-plus copies of Myth Unbound arrived today, is Entreat the Dead. This is a card with a unique effect. Um, my average buy-in on this card was $1.15, and the highest buy list right now is $0.80 cents on them. Uh, this is something again where I'm going to continue to target Commander 18 rares because of what we've seen happen with Commander 14, Commander 15, Commander 16, and lately Commander 17. Um, the Commander 18 decks were not as popular as the Commander 17 decks. A lot of people didn't care about Enchantress or stuff like that. They cared more the previous years when it was, you know, Atraxa and Tribal. Um, so this is something where uh, less copies are in supply. And I don't mind throwing a couple hundred dollars away, putting these in the box for a year or two, and seeing where the buy list is on them. Because even though this card is not as good as stuff like Living Death or Rise of the Dark Realms, uh, it's a dollar. And it feels like just due to whatever over the time or casual cards that it can't afford to buy Rise of the Dark Realms, 
if Rise of the Dark Elves gets reprinted in the meantime, I'm going to get probably blown out on this card, uh, at which point I would call Rise of the Dark Elves. But I figured I'd throw like four or 500 bucks at the wall with this card and see where it lands in two years. This is a long-term spec. I'm telling you how many I bought on TCG. So if you see an uptick on TCG, it's only me. Um, but this is just something, once again, where it feels like, sure, why not? And then Genesis Storm, I bought 582 copies at 15 to 16 cents each. Um, it's sort of like Genesis Wave, but it was also just basically bulk rolls. Bark, bark, yeah. <laughs> bulk rare status on TCG between four and five sellers. So once again, I was like, sure, unique effect. It's copied for each time you cast your commander this game. What could possibly go wrong? So we'll see what happens. I'm either a genius or I'm lighting money on fire. So we'll see what happens. That's all I can say. Can I amend my pick of the week? I just realized there's a much better one. And I might have picked it already once, but... Man, it's so cheap. It's really silly. That Unfortunately, this is- we're out of time. That no, I'm kidding. Go ahead for it. Man, Guardian Project. Why is this available for 45 cents on TCG Player? Wait, let me look at this. I need to buy. I mean, uh, look into this. Guardian, Guardian. Project. You want to tell people what it is does? so good. Whenever you play a creature card, draw a card. If you're playing the commander. Yep. That's that's basically what the card reads. Is if you're playing commander, whenever you play a creature, draw a card. There are uh, foils have a seven times multiplier right now. Yeah, because the card's stupid. It's like Beast. Was it Beast Whisperer? Is that the name of the two three? Yep. Isn't that like a dollar or so? So Beast uh, Whisperer yeah, is pretty well. Beast Whisperer is three dollars, and Guardian Project is forty five cents, and they do most of the same thing. This is silly. I don't understand why it's so cheap. I mean, this is this is the kind of card that like it's gonna be on one episode of the command zone. Like Jimmy's just gonna go crazy and draw 18 million cards with it on camera, and then people will be like, oh my god, this is just like Shadowboard Apostle. Like, I go buy them all. And that's it's just gonna I'm be so like me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm that was like my Jason Alt impression, but like a more reasonable Jason Alt. Oh. And then my, I'm doing what Ed did. Also, I'll how can I be subtweeting you if I'm not tweeting? I'm just talking. You're subcasting. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm experimenting with what Ed did last year, which is buy all the cheap mythics and standard and see what happens. So I've already placed those orders, but I'll probably call them as a pick of the week next week. Um, I want to see if Ed's strategy, which made everyone money last year, works for me. Probably not, but we'll see what happens. But anyway, everyone take note. I, I'll, I'll be back. To, I'll be back to consult uh, to collect my consulting fee at the end of this. Well, yeah, because you certainly can't collect all that hair that you left on the ground. Ed, where can people find you? Jeez, you're never gonna live that bed down. <laughs> Man, the daggers. I look like a normal person now. Like I'm like Jeremy, <laughs> who's just for the rest of his life. Allegedly, oh. you allegedly <laughs> look like a normal person. I'm also Ouch. disappointed. I'm also disappointed that Jeremy didn't pick. You know the hundred fifteen thousand dollar Alpha Lotus that's Again. ending in in a day. And I can't call it and then be like, "Oh, it'll go for more next time." <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I am 
at Edwin13 on Twitter. I will be in uh, Los Angeles this weekend uh, for anyone who wants to come by. My name is Jim Casale. You can find me at Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me on Gathering Magic. Or Wow, man, I messed that up again. Got Foolstuffinc.com every other week. It's really hard once you've gotten into like the groove of saying the same thing because like this plug section is usually the same. It's like, what is your, what is your name? What is your social media contact info? Where do you do things? And like, mine is always the same because I don't go to Grand Prix, uh, well, Magic Fests that often. So. God, I got messed up. Anyway, you can find my articles on CoolStuffInc.com. I'll have one up on Friday discussing whatever the modern announcement is on Thursday. Uh, and you can find me on this lovely podcast every week. And you'll find Jim in two weeks in GP Tampa or Magic oh Fest. God, Tampa. I forgot about that. I actually can't go. Ooh. Oh, what blow up? I know. I, I'm so sad, Jim. I was I so looking I, I will be in Seattle or Vancouver that weekend. So for a game? Uh, well, we're going to go visit my wife's grandparents who were quite old and could not make it down for the wedding and they live in Seattle. And then just so coincidentally, the New York Rangers happening (laughs) behind the Vancouver Canucks. I'm on my way. I'm on my way to Canucks Jersey. So, uh, I will be going to a, uh, Rangers Canucks game and man, it is going to be the battle of like the worst teams in the league. My gosh, we don't, neither of us have any players that should be playing in the NHL anymore. Yep. Hard agree. Um, at least the blues are doing okay. Um, my name's Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. I will not be in LA this weekend. Unfortunately for Ed, uh, he gets one week off and then I see him next week. I'm pretty sure. Um, is yeah. there nothing? There's nothing next week, right? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Tell me more. There's a magic event. <laughs> oh God! Please, please tell me you're not going to Gamma. If you're going to Gamma, I'll be tilted. But there's. I no am a TCG going. player pro seller. Oh God! You're going to Gamma. Right? <laughs> see you. See you there. Uh, uh, dear, dear God, help me. <laughs> yeah, I got the invite like a while ago. Um, Make a tilt. Anyway, you can find this podcast on. Our sponsors, coolstuffinc.com. You can find us on YouTube on the live stream where it looks like a lot of people were talking this entire time, including some people that literally run magic booths at every Grand Prix. So if you want their advice, tune in the live stream. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on MTG Cast, and you can find us on whatever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it as always. Have a good week. And as always, bye-bye.